0: The Hogs are going to Omaha. No, oh, intermission. No, it's halftime.
1: You can actually feel Razorback Stadium shaking underneath our feet right now. He's gotta keep living, man. L-I-V-I-N.
2: Arkansas wins the national championship! What I say, when it comes to this
0: basketball team, is the law. Absolutely and without discussion. Uh Ty was a warrior. The
2: Hogs are going to Omaha! Trackouts are boring. Besides that, they're fascist. Throw some ground ball. It's more democratic.
0: Borderline erotic. You're listening to the Halftime Podcast. Arkansas baseball and softball yesterday both defeated UAPB, less than a mile apart from each other, and both games involved the mercy rule, which does give you you know quite a window into the difference in level of competition between uh, the teams that both Arkansas baseball and softball usually play when it comes to the SEC and the level of competition that you do get for most of it out of the Southwestern Athletic Conference. And, and one of the words that we use to describe Arkansas when you're talking about in-state reputation is the word brand now Arkansas's brand in the state of Arkansas is the brand when it comes to sports and when we hear so often there's no major league teams people still say there's no professional teams I would say hold on one moment there are professional teams in this state they're just not major league teams you always have to be able to separate those two things travelers naturals uh, those are professional teams. They're just not major league teams. They're two, state, they're two steps apart from being a major league team. But I, I think that's what people are referring to when they say we have no professional teams. You only have one uh, school that's in the Power Five conferences. So the, the brand inside the state of Arkansas, I feel doesn't ever get dinged when it comes to the uh, level of support, the fan base, uh, the level of sponsorship dollars, the number of people that are going to games. I, I feel like you're always going to have Uh, More of a focus and a spotlight for very good reason on Arkansas athletics, because it is at the top level of competition uh, across the country, just looking at the league that they play in. Now, with that said, while there is a very well-known brand for Razorback sports inside the state of Arkansas... It it kind of ends right there at the borders of the state. Uh, you know, I think you, if you could look to these to the other states that we do border. You know, Oklahoma, Texas, Missouri, Mississippi, Tennessee, uh, Louisiana. They all know about Arkansas. They all know about the Razorbacks. Most teams. Uh, I mean, the Arkansas plays a team in every one of those states in just about every sport. So, I think though when you're looking at the the national sports scene, what does the brand Arkansas mean? Is there even a brand that you can promote? Is there is our essentially the question is, and it is our question of the day on the halftime poll question: Is Arkansas still a brand in college sports? Now, I feel like we we spoke about this quite a bit leading up to and then after the firing of Mike Anderson as the head basketball coach and the, and now the hiring of Eric Musselman. And I think he's even used the term brand to describe what he feels like he's inheriting as far as uh, a nationally known basketball program. But we all know that that brand is still sort of living in the 90s or the 80s and the 90s because there hasn't been that level of success that there had been that made Arkansas a national brand, you know, and Ty, you and I've talked about what, what schools therefore are a brand in these sports. And there's probably just, you know, a couple of handfuls in both of the major sports that you could identify as real nationally known brands that come with some weight behind them. You know, Duke, North Carolina, Kansas, Kentucky in basketball you know I don't even know if UCLA qualifies as a national brand anymore you know in football it's Alabama it's Clemson it's still Michigan I think still has that brand Ohio State no doubt uh maybe even Penn State uh, and a couple others that 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 in Notre Dame that leave my mind but all of these programs have had success over the last 15 20 years to keep that brand going and arkansas at one point had a brand for football but what's happened these last five six years that isn't really a brand that you want to be associated with i mean there let's put it this That's way
1: let's put it lightly very lightly
0: There are—all right, so I saw John Neighbors is tweeting about the thought of, you know, why would anybody ever go with a ketchup that's not Heinz? You know, that's the premium—and you and I don't have to argue about levels of ketchup and which one is better, but the the nationally known brand— is is Heinz, and it's got it's got a, a good connotation attached to it, you know. Then there's the other brand that's a, kind of at the bottom of the list, and I don't know. It'd be like House Recipe, you know, or if there was like a, a Jim's Ketchup, you know, sort of like an off brand. And that's what Arkansas football is right now. That's not what Arkansas basketball is, but it's still a program that is. That, that has a name that some people identify with, but it's more people of my age. It's more people of, you know, like Bill King, who we'll have on the show later on. People that remember what Arkansas basketball meant to the national scene in the 1980s and more the 1990s. But it's been a while since you've been at that level. So baseball, it is a brand but college baseball's imprint on the national scene isn't as big as football and isn't as big as basketball. But if you're looking on the national scene for college baseball, Arkansas most definitely is a brand, but the other two sports, probably not so much. So the question would be, and we'd like to get some input from our listeners so you can call us at 877-377-6963, is Arkansas still a brand brand? in college sports. And right now, I mean, if you're going to separate the two out of the three sports that aren't, I say no, basketball and football are not, yes, baseball is. But if you're going overall as a university, I think and that's the question you're asking here, Ty, when it comes down to, and we can't really separate baseball from the other two sports because that's the sport that has the most success here and is in the middle of the season too. So I would say it's, if two out of three are not a national brand, then right now Arkansas isn't really a big brand on the national scene in college sports
1: so we talked about with the baseball excuse me the basketball hire taking place is arkansas a brand enough to get a high profile high profile coach eric musselman the jury's still out him we'll see what he does at arkansas but that seems by a basis on a lot of different national college basketball people a good hire so you, we've talked a lot in depth about that, and that made me wonder. And I was listening to the Hog Pod with Bo yesterday, and they went into depth with Jimmy Dykes, Dwight Stewart, Clay Henry, Corey Beck, just or excuse me, not not Beck yet, uh, Clint McDaniel on there, and they were diving into more of the basketball stuff, the the championship and whatnot. And one of the questions that was asked is Arkansas still a basketball brand, and I still think it is based on top 25. You mentioned the age differences that look at different brands with the sports. My age group, my millennial age group, has only no success in Arkansas basketball. You've seen a couple ups in Arkansas basketball and you've seen a couple ups in Arkansas football. Your age, around your age gap, would have known a lot more about the Arkansas basketball program with the high volume of success. You talked about how you used to watch Arkansas basketball when you were even up north. How- yeah,
0: without, without even really knowing where the state of Arkansas was located. Exactly. And this was before, this was around the time Bill Clinton had come onto the national scene. Uh, but but still, I mean, those were the two things that my people in Pittsburgh associated with Arkansas was Razorback basketball and Bill Clinton.
1: Exactly. And then the old, even if you want to stretch the older generation further, the 60s and 70s when Arkansas football was having more success that would probably be back. So the older you go, probably football knows more about the success that they have. than kind of the middle gap where you are is more the latter the basketball success with Nolan Richardson and even Eddie Sutton to a certain extent. And then with my generation, it's Arkansas baseball. And I think if you ask college basketball analysts, whether it's Kendall Rogers, Aaron Fit, Kyle Peterson, Bing McDonald, any of the baseball America guys, USBWA, it doesn't matter who you ask. I find it hard to believe that Any of them could argue against Arkansas being a national brand in college baseball. You get to the College World Series final last year. You come up just short. Five College World Series appearances under Dave Van Horn. And then they have just a plethora of draft picks over the years. Andrew Benatendi being one of the brightest young players in the sport right now. Holding up the Razorback emblem, right? So I think
0: and the the brand for baseball doesn't just go to the success on the field, just like you're saying, it goes to the success of the players that are now playing Major League Baseball with Benintendi at the top of the list. And sooner or later, somebody's going to sign uh, Dallas Keuchel. Someone's going to sign him to a one year deal if he if he decides to take it.
1: So so they have success there, but you just you can't say the same about the other two, Phil. It's right. not it's not in the same realm.
0: So, I mean, and, and I, I feel like Arkansas is still looked at. And I, there's only one brand in, in, in the SEC for basketball. That's it. There's just one. And it's it's Kentucky. Correct. Arkansas used to be the other brand, although maybe not quite at the level of Kentucky, but it was still understood that in the SEC, when it came to level of success, uh, fan support, uh, and talent level, there was Kentucky and then, the, and then there was Arkansas. And
1: Tim Brando's hit on that. Jimmy Dykes is in on that. Bill Keene's in on that. They say anyone that could rival Kentucky at the time, it was Arkansas and no one else. And that's that's crazy to think about because it's not even close to where that time was now.
0: So when you're looking, let's look to the other two sports that, that go by divisions. As we, you know, the SEC doesn't have divisions in basketball, baseball, and football, they do. In the SEC... Sure, there's Alabamas at the top of the list. Georgia is a brand. That's over in the East Division. And this is one of the reasons why, and I've, I've, I've been open about this, I feel like it's so difficult for Arkansas to really be a contender year after year in the SEC West. And it isn't just because of the brands. Because brands go along with success and talent level. And when you look at what you have in the SEC West, Alabama, the brand in college football still. And I thought that I know they lost to Clemson, but I, I still think on a national level, Alabama is probably still a touch ahead of Clemson as far as the overall brand. Um, I think you look at, at uh, LSU, that's a brand. You look at Auburn, that's a brand too. Texas A&M, there's maybe they haven't had quite the, the success to be a brand, but I think they're probably on that path. Uh, Ole Miss, no. Mississippi State, no. Arkansas, no. In baseball, Arkansas fits into all of the other programs that are that are brands. LSU, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, and Arkansas are the top four brands in the SEC West for baseball. a is, is is also kind of close to that category. Uh, but... But that this 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 to me it all goes back to amount of, to a level of success. Basketball can be back there. I think they can get back there and get back there and it, it, kind of quickly. It all has. There, you can turn a basketball program around much easier than I think you can a football program. And I think there's probably more. And you know, I think uh, there's going to be transfers. There's no doubt about it. Off of this last year's team before next year starts, but there's more in the cupboard to have quicker success. Depending on what transfers come in and how Musselman recruits, you can turn this basketball program around and and be back as a brand, but what do you, what does it take to get to be a brand? Is it a matter of a number of final four visits? Is it a matter of, you know, a number of sweet 16 visits, winning an sec tournament championship, or do you have to win a national title to be in that conversation no, as a brand?
1: Cause Arkansas baseball is a brand that's, that's it's, and I'm not even a baseball guy and I know that like that, but they haven't won a national title, but go across baseball complexes, college baseball like sites, high school sites, they would tell you North, South, East, West, Arkansas baseball is a brand. And at one point in time, Arkansas basketball was the exact same way. And this is Coach Eric Musselman. This was back in his opening press conference, how he still thinks Arkansas basketball is a brand you know if anybody followed what we did at nevada i mean we were trying to create a brand and we were trying to create who we were you know we did some crazy stuff and had some fun on social media and we'll still have fun but that logo means a lot and uh, when people see it they know what it means and so i don't think we need to, to get too outlandish here so you always know and hear the phrase there's only one raise your back which is True, with the exception of like...
0: The hey, tech- that's become a brand. It's yeah. just like, that's the slogan. That's, that's branding right then and there. One Razorback.
1: And it's one thing to have the mascot being singular across college sports, but it's a completely other thing when players, whether it's football, basketball, or baseball at the high school level, know about your program, know your coach, and know about your facilities, the campus, and whatnot. One of the things that both of these coaching staffs have, have done, Chad Morrison, year two and Eric Musselman, In less than two weeks, they've started to really establish themselves on social media. And I know there's a lot of people listening that right now that don't give a rat's you know what about that. And I understand it's more of my generation's type of thing. But why that's so important is because you're. Helping, like, there's there's a couple different ways to establish yourself as a brand. Number one, as you mentioned, is a success. That's the easiest way to get your name out there, get your name to the high school gyms, high school football stadiums, high school baseball um, fields. That's how that happens. Another thing to do that with social media expanding so much is using those platforms to get to these kids, which is what both coaches are doing right now. So that helps. It doesn't help as much as winning, but at least these coaches, particularly Eric Musselman and Chad Morris, are using that. Dave Van Horn, they don't have to do it as much. You know why, Phil? Because they have the college world series in their back pocket. They have all these facilities with the great money and Bomb Stadium being probably the number top, probably top three baseball uh arena or excuse me, field in the in the country. And it's 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 easier for them to recruit kids because of their reputation of the program right now
0: well making the ncaa regional 16 of 17 years and five college world series trips in those in those 17 years that's a level of success that gets you to be a brand and oh by the way as i'm doing this this show here at ball walker stadium I always like to tell you what I'm what I see from the field right now. I saw you at someone. I'm curious. There's one guy on the field right now, and he's running the warning track. and It is Dave Van Horn. He is all by himself running the warning track right now. <laughs> and yeah, he, he gave me a little wave. He could I went and talked to him earlier before the show. And there he is. I mean, he could barely run last year. He had a sciatic problem. wasn't even throwing batting practice. And there he is. He's running and. Getting in a little workout before the team arrives for a, for what he described to me is what will be a very light workout. Uh, getting set for the Mississippi State series. Anyway, so back, so back to what we're talking about. You know the the, the thing with Musselman and the thing also with Chad Morris. They have their own personal brands too, and these get these get promoted through social media, which really is a very important way to connect fans to programs, to connect fans. to... To athletes and to the coaches, and I feel like the brand that both Chad Morris and Eric Musselman bring is is a is is energy, is enthusiasm. Um, we have enthusiasms, and they get to promote that on on their social media. So I also think that the that the brand of of coaching that Eric Musselman brings is intensity. That's what I think of when I've when I've watched a couple of his games on on television, when I've I've seen him at the press conferences. And now, you know, they're 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 pretty heavy right now, the Razorback basketball Twitter account on on pushing What they're doing in practice in very small snippets. And you can see the brand that they're pushing is the Muscleman brand of extremely intense physical. Practices. You get that sense over the course of a 10 or 11-second uh, uh, video clip where it just looks like the guys are busting their asses. Uh, and it's not it's not just a 10-second thing they're doing. This is a whole two-hour thing that they're doing. And, oh, that looks like Matt Cronin. No, that's Marshall Denton running running up and down the stairs, too. So it's not just Dave. It's also one of the pitchers running, running steps. Anyway... The, the brand is about winning. That's how programs become brands. Uh, the brand that...
1: The quickest. The that, quickest they become brands. I wouldn't say that's the only way, but yeah, the quickest. Well,
0: how else do you become a brand? I mean, that's... Otherwise, I mean, what do you... The, the Washington Generals, you know, the team that loses every game to the Harlem Globetrotters, they have a brand of being losers.
1: It's the you, brand that you... It's the brand that you want is what you're more referring to. Sure. I mean, you even can, in, in professional
0: sports, too. I mean, there, there are national brands that are connected to winning and and somehow I still wonder, like, how do the Dallas Cowboys remain a brand when they they haven't been, you know, a successful playoff team in 25 years? You know, I mean, the New England Patriots are definitely a brand. The the Pittsburgh Steelers are, are a brand. Uh, the, their, their, the the Green Bay Packers up until this last season too I think we're we're in that we're in that classification um, you know in baseball the the Red Sox the Dodgers these are brands the Yankees too even though they haven't won a World Series in like eleven years that that's still a brand and it's a winning brand that's attached to it the whole idea of Arkansas basketball still being a brand to me. I, I think you need to see a little you need to see more success on, on a regular season basis and definitely more on in the postseason basis it's like what are we talking about with legacies of coaches for basketball and, and not not necessarily maybe football but I think in basketball the, the these coaches legacies are built upon winning in March and so the, the legacies of these programs are also built upon winning in March it's the same with, with Dave's baseball program I mean it's about winning in June, you win enough games in June, you get to Omaha enough times, you're a brand on the college scene. Football's a, a, a different story because um, I don't know. It's it seems to me that that uh, it's so difficult to. You know, you maybe you get to New York six, you get to a New Year's Day six bowl game enough times. Does that make you a brand? I don't know. It's I think I, I think there's a different there's a different uh, thing about football when it when you're when you're talking about attaching brands to it. But I, I still think that Arkansas basketball is in a position that right now they're not necessarily a brand, but depending on what Coach Musk can do with them in the next few years, this this can be an, another brand program, not not just one that that Arkansans are are proud about and and support, but also one that makes a splash on the national scene you're going to have to do it in a much better sec though so it's going to be it's going to be difficult to get back to the top of that mountain where you were
1: and it will close on this because i know we got to get to a uapv repa- recap coming up but with arkansas not and just really any college program sports program for that matter it starts with the off season the kids you can bring in arkansas baseball has the number three recruiting class according to perfect game coming in next season the, the football team had their second highest recruiting class that they've ever had in the history of the program that came in last season. According to Danny West, they've had the most talent they've had on campus in the last about year and a half compared to the entire Brett Bielema era. You haven't had just an, an, a fantastic recruiting class under Mike Anderson, Stan Heath, and John Pelfrey. You got to get these kids on campus. You got to start winning ballgames. It's, it's a slow build. But if you don't have the talent on campus in any of the three major sports, Dave's a tremendous coach. But there's no doubt that he has had just some studs that have walked through bomb stadium year in, year out. And for Arkansas, for Eric Musselman and Chad Morris, they got to get those same type of guys, or they're never going to amount to the level of success that Dave's had, always been at Arkansas.
0: You're listening to the Halftime Podcast. Follow the guys on Twitter, at PhilElsonPXP, and at TIE Sports Radio. And it's Joe Adams with a hurdle. Great speed. Adams down the sideline. He's gone. 92 yards for a touchdown. Look at all the things that happened yesterday. Matt Goodhart reaches base five times. Team, it's three home runs. Uh, But I just, I wonder what you think about, what do you get Playing, not I'm not talking about playing an in-state team, but playing a team out of the SWAC that is in last place in the worst conference in college baseball. I just don't know what you necessarily what you what, what what you learn about your team playing against UAPB last night. What what would be your idea on that?
2: I mean, really, you don't learn much about your team. Uh, I mean, Van Horn was was pretty pleased with how his team was able to bounce back after, you know, an emotional win on Sunday at Vanderbilt. So maybe you get that. You get just the game under your belt. Uh, The biggest thing is probably just getting young guys' reps. I mean, you get Liam Henry, Elijah Tress, uh, Colin Taylor, pitchers like that that really don't get a lot of, you know, innings on the weekend. Maybe you get them some innings, maybe get them some confidence. Uh, you get guys like Trey Harris, some some not only at bats, but you know, reps in the outfield. That's the first time he played in the field this season. Uh so things like that, you get young guys' experience. But I mean other than that, you really don't get much. I've been a big proponent against Arkansas or all SEC teams, playing teams from the SWAC, just because it's so so lopsided. I mean, these teams don't even have the full eleven point seven scholarships. I think uh, Carlos James, uh, the UAPB coach, mentioned yesterday that they've got five scholarships to use right. for their team. So I mean, it's just, it's just not even fair. And and SEC teams typically dominate uh, the SWAC. Although Southern, I guess, last week or the week before, knocked off LSU. Uh, but when you play a team seventy times or whatever it is, you're probably going to lose a couple. And that's kind of what happened with LSU uh, playing their crosstown you know school in in, in the SWAC. So you really don't get much from these type of games
0: so what you've got coming up now the rest of this week is really, I think, the biggest series that's left on the schedule. And I, I put I put the series with Mississippi State ahead of the series with LSU. Uh, LSU has uh, kind of, I mean, they've had, they're having a decent year, but you know, I don't think the level of success that was expected of the Tigers. But uh, I put Mississippi State uh, ahead, importance wise, of uh, Tennessee, Kentucky, and Texas A and M. And if you're if you're a team that expects to to have a chance to be a, a top eight national seed, you can make a giant statement this weekend against the Bulldogs.
2: Oh, absolutely. I mean, they're the number two team in the country for a reason. They are really, really good. I started kind of diving into their numbers uh, this morning, and, you know, what Jake Mangum is doing is, is incredible. I mean, it seems like he's been there for about eight years, uh, but he's a senior. You know, he's been drafted a couple of times, but still decides to come back to school uh they are loaded on the pitching staff. Ethan Small had something crazy like 15 strikeouts in 5 innings or something the other uh, last weekend. Uh they're just clicking on all cylinders. Uh and so it, it is definitely a huge series for Arkansas because as you said if if they think they're going to be a top 8 national seed and host the super regional, you know, if you get to that point, you need to win these series. Uh they did good by, you know, beating Auburn on the road not getting swept by Vanderbilt. They dropped the series against Ole Miss, you know, at home a couple of weeks ago. Uh, so you really need to hold serve at home and and win the series. Uh, I know Arkansas fans probably you know remember last year and think, "Oh, it's at home, we should win all three games." That's probably a little too much to expect uh, against Mississippi State, but if you can win the series, if you can if you can take two of these games, I think it would go a long way, you know, for RPI. Uh, for resume building, whenever the tournament selection committee is, is coming up with the, the seating, uh, I think it would be really, really big. I mean, you mentioned the LSU series. That's also really big, more from a probably a mental standpoint, just because LSU seems to have Arkansas's numbers. Uh, but from a resume and RPI standpoint, Mississippi State is, is probably the, the top team left on the schedule.
1: Talking Razorbacks with Andrew Hutchinson, rivals Hogby. Andrew, so Georgia and Clemson, went 20 innings last night, over six hours. Phil asked me if I'd watched the game uh, before the broadcast. I said no. He said he was listening to it last night, which I thought was just crazy. Arkansas has been in a slew of crazy games over the years, football, basketball, baseball. You think about the overtime games, they've been in football and the LSU triple overtime number one, and there's been a lot of crazy basketball games with the Michael Hall's dunk baseball against Florida a couple years back in the SC tournament. What do you think's been the craziest game since you and I have been alive that Arkansas has played in, in the three major sports?
2: Oh man, that's so tough. I mean the seven overtime games come up, you know, come to mind quickly just because they they were seven overtimes and that's a, a NCAA record that has only been matched, uh never been broken. Uh then you think <laughs> The Missouri State baseball game comes to mind with it being a a game ending at 3 a.m. That's a game that we'll probably never see again because there's no way that they would let that game continue uh, with the rain and everything like that. I still don't understand how they were able to keep that game going. That was kind of a a Dave Van Horn willing something to happen type of thing. Uh, The Michael Qualls dunk, you mentioned that one. Uh, The Ole uh, Miss-Henry Heave game, also Mm -hmm. uh, i think is is one of the greatest games i've ever witnessed live just because even leading up to that overtime it was just a back and forth shootout i mean it was tied at the end of all all four quarters uh brandon allen was just uh through a a school record touchdown passes uh was just balling out honestly uh and it was just an incredible you know back and forth shootout type game and then uh of course the overtime happens and you get the Henry Heath play on fourth and twenty-five. You still have to score a touchdown. Brandon Allen seems to get sacked to end the game on the two-point conversion attempt penalty. You have to do it again, and he he scores on the on the keeper, uh, and then gets carried off on his teammate's shoulders. Uh, a guy who you know encountered a lot of adversity during his time as a starting quarterback. Uh, just uh, when you factor all that in, plus you throw in that Ole Miss was probably going to be playing for an SEC championship that year had they beat Arkansas, and, and Arkansas kept them out of that. Uh, just all that thrown together, I think that's probably one that sticks out to me as just the craziest game I've ever witnessed live.
1: So Phil and I open up the program asking the question, What? It, where is Arkansas in terms of brand in its three major sports, basketball, football, and baseball? Phil and I both agree that baseball is a brand across college baseball. Basketball has the potential at one time, Arkansas football was a brand, but that was like 40, 50 years ago. Do you think Arkansas is a national brand in its three major sports right now, Andrew?
2: Definitely in baseball, as you said. Uh, when you are consistently making it to Omaha, that kind of helps. And, and you pr- you're putting guys in the pros uh, like they are with guys like Andrew Benetendi, Dallas Keuchel. uh That makes you a brand. Basketball, as you said, I mean in the nineties, it was, I mean, that was a, it was a top five, uh, program in the country. It's been a while since they've been on that level. Uh, I think that the potential is there, uh, but the potential is also there for football. Uh, cause I mean, you, you say it's been, you know, 40, 50 years. I mean, if you look back at the eighties, Arkansas, you know, was back to back, uh, cotton bowls. They didn't win either one, but they're probably, a, I think, a dropped interception by Steve Atwater away from potentially competing for a national championship in 88 or 89. I can't remember which. Uh, so they they aren't as far removed in football as, as you think. Uh, but I do think that they do have a lot of work to do. When they've, when they've been as bad as they have the last seven, eight years, uh, you got a lot of work to do if you're Chad Morris. I don't think Eric Musselman has nearly as much work To get Arkansas to that level again, as Chad Morris does, just because they do have some recent success of making it to the NCAA tournament, winning the game in the NCAA tournament, uh, making the SEC championship game, Uh, there are pieces there that kind of help have some brand awareness. uh, But you still got to take it that next level, get you to a Sweet 16, Elite Eight. But I think Arkansas is a lot closer to that than they are to making a New Year's Six bowl or or even a, a. slightly higher bowl not just the the Liberty Bowl or the Independence Bowl something like that they're they're a long ways off from that
0: but I think fans definitely would would be very pleased with any bowl game in year two for Chad Morrison. I think it lines up without question. You could pull it off when you look at your your schedule for, for twenty for twenty nineteen. It's doable. I think year two a bowl game is is most definitely a, a legitimate expectation. But what about what about the let's, let's look past year one for Eric Musselman. Uh, he even told that the, the the talent that he's inherited that he thinks that they're an NCAA tournament team now. I don't know if I believe that or not. I don't even really know if Coach Musselman believes that or not. Year two, should he be expected to make an NCAA tournament?
2: I think so. I think he should, just because of the way the way he builds his program is through transfers. And so you think you can get some maybe immediate impact transfers. That's why I don't think it's quite as much of a pipe dream to make the NCAA tournament year one as some people may think. You do lose the Daniel Gafford, but you have all the other pieces pretty much coming back. And if you can add a key graduate transfer or two or three, then then maybe they can get to the NCAA tournament. So I definitely think year two, uh, that should be a a legitimate goal. I don't think it's quite the rebuilding project that Mike Anderson inherited where it took him, I think it was four years just to make it the NCAA tournament. I think it's going to be a little bit easier uh, for Musselman just because he, he has the groundwork there. He has guys like Isaiah Joe. Reggie Cheney, guys that have some potential and if you can put some key pieces in there you don't have to wait for them to develop if they're freshmen you get guys that already have proven experience at the D- division one level get them to come in and mesh with the team and and you should be making a TNCAA tournament uh, uh pretty much pretty common I mean he made it for his last three years at Nevada and, and completely turned over his roster a lot of those years bringing in new transfers so I think it should definitely be an expectation for the fans uh, to make the NCAA tournament in year two for sure.
0: Should we expect more transfers out of the program? You had Keisha and Embry Simpson, you know, transfer out pretty quickly once the season was done. Uh, I think there's a lot of fans and media members, and maybe even maybe even Coach Musselman to, that that would expect that there'd be another player or two uh, that decides to uh, that that Arkansas isn't the place for them and, and transfers out. Do you think there will be one or more transfers off of the current list? Because you even said just a moment ago, it sounds like you mightn't not anticipate transfers at all if you're talking about the the players that are returning and uh, maybe I mean, you could talk about ibrahim ali nikki Chabanel brought that up yesterday but aside from him who we never saw it all last year do you see any other transfers
2: you know i was going to mention ibi ali but uh, other than that there it always seems like when there's a coaching change there's one or two surprising transfers that you don't expect uh, to happen Uh, so it wouldn't surprise me if you, if we saw one of those guys leave, uh, I don't know. It's hard to speculate who, because as I said, it's going to be a surprise probably. Uh, but I mean, you think back, I think I I want to say it was Rodney Clark that maybe transferred, uh, when Mike Anderson took over, that one kind of caught people off guard, or at least it did to me whenever I I was, I guess it was eight, nine years ago. So I was a lot younger. Uh but uh it, it seems to it seems to happen where there's always gonna be a guy that, that leaves uh when there's a coaching change. So it wouldn't surprise me. Uh but again it's it's hard to speculate as to who that might be, other than maybe Ibi Ali just because he's a guy that came in as a as a project and then redshirted last year and hasn't ever played.
0: Hutch, always a great talk. We'll see you up here at uh Baumwalker Stadium Thursday night.
2: Looking forward to it. See you then.
0: Subscribe to Hit That Line on iTunes. You're listening to the Halftime Pod. Swung on
2: up the middle for a base
0: hit. And you can't put this one to bed. The Razorbacks come back and walk on. The whole idea of, you know, Wednesday is hump day will, will mean something, but these days it doesn't. I, ju- I just say it because it's the mi- it's over the hump for our show on a Wednesday, which really means you're over the hump for you, Ty, because you're the one who gets real weekends these days, although you do have, you know, like 27-hour work days, so, you know, take that for what it's worth.
1: Yeah, it's all over the place sometimes. I'm just excited for when baseball ends, where you can come up to the fort, you, me, Tommy, and John can go on a three-day bender, <laughs> <laughs> we got to tell, we gotta tell uh, Laura, be like, hey, Tommy's going to be gone the next, uh, two or so days. We're gonna, we're gonna be in Fort Smith, but he, he won't be coming home anytime soon.
0: Yeah. We're going to be, we're going to be drooling for four straight days. I can't wait for Tommy and me to show you guys how it's actually done. And then the two of you can show us how to recover from the hangover earlier than, than we've ever done before. Uh, so, I guess that's one thing I would tell you, you know, change my mind about the idea of these weekends for me, but you just can't do it. But maybe there's some other things, Ty, that you can change my mind about.
1: I change my mind. Hi, Joey. Hey. How you doing? He you're won't doing. sell
0: anybody out to buy his future. would you be so obtuse? What did you call me? Obtuse. Is it deliberate? Son, you're forgetting yourself. Change my mind. So I, I want to start, It's you know, Easter's coming up, right? And and I don't I'm not I don't celebrate Easter I'm Jewish we've gotten into this on the show but I do eat Easter candy you're Jewish I've said it a few times on this show uh, so I do we do have Passover coming up and I'm supposed to not eat uh, bread or anything with grains uh, maybe someday I'll bring some matzah to the studio Ty so you can taste this stuff it's not a generational gap thing at all it's not an older versus versus younger thing it's a Jew versus non-Jew have you ever tasted matzah before
1: I can't say I have. What is it?
0: Have you ever had a saltine cracker?
1: Yes, is it it's similar.
0: Basi- it's basically kind of like a saltine cracker without whatever grains go into the saltine cracker. It's saltines are made with flour uh, that that's leavened. The, the 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 flour that's used for matzah is unleavened, and so it's basically a, re- a really flat, crispy cracker. Without too much taste to it, it's really good with just butter on it. Or you can put some peanut butter on it. Or you can make a matzo pizza. That's really good too. Um, but it does stop you up a little bit. So you got to find other ways to stay regular. If you if because th- this is what they'll eat. We'll eat for like an entire week straight. You won't eat any bread. You won't have any anything with grains, which means no beer, no Coca Cola, no sodas, no sugar. Essentially, I mean, it's just I don't know. It can be a little a little tiring to try to keep up with what you can eat and what you can't eat. So you know what I've done for these last however many years I've just said screw it I'm going to eat whatever I feel like I was
1: going to say no pun intended but do you follow this diet religiously
0: no no and it's funny how you use the term religiously here to describe it too because I also don't keep kosher and never will you know I like bacon I like pork chops I like mixing I like mixing uh, you know cheese and burgers together which if I kept kosher I wouldn't be able to do that too so but I mean for maybe 8 days I could set it aside and say oh uh, I used to keep the I used to keep what they call kosher for Passover, as a kid and as an early adult, but it's it was kind of difficult to do that while traveling across the Texas League landscape. Uh, so so I just haven't for a long time. But I guess I was getting into this idea for the Easter candy. I love Easter because of the candy. I like you know it's like it's like the Halloween of spring. Um, and are, are candy corns a thing around Easter time, or is that just a Halloween thing? It's really just a Halloween, Halloween thing, right? Thing. Yeah. Okay, good because candy corns. I'm kind of over them. I'm over them. They don't need to be around for now. I don't even realize why they need to be around for Halloween. My daughter, my daughter says to me the other day, we're walking through the grocery store, she saw some candy corns. She says, Dad, you know what candy I really love these days? I really love candy corns. And I thought to myself, I said, I'm going to disown you just for that alone. But it's okay. She, what I did get her and her and her brother were their first ever, this is the best, this is the best Easter candy out there. These kids for the first time tasted a Cadbury cream candy. Egg, and a lot of people oh. feel, A lot of people, it's apparently you're one of them. Feel like it's like it's like um, sticking your tongue into the sewer. You know, it's like that gooey center that. Really, the consistency might not be very appetizing for some people, and it sounds to me, Ty, like you're one of them. But I thought, I think the Cadbury cream eggs, I have an addiction to these things, I've got to stay away from them around this time of the year because I could pack, I could probably eat three of those things at once. They've gotten smaller over the years, as all the candy bars have also gotten smaller, so you could probably fit three, maybe four. If you're really trying, if it meant something to you, you could fit four Cadbury cream eggs in your mouth at the same time and go to town on the beautiful yellow-white gooey center. So, I, And look, are there, other, there are other Easter candies that I like, although I kind of feel a little bit weird about eating candy bunnies. You know, the chocolate bunnies to me just feel a little bit weird. So I like the Cadbury mini eggs. Those are really good. I like the Peeps. And a lot of people hate Ugh. Peeps. Peeps are good. I mean, it's marshmallow crusted with sugar, for crying out loud. What's wrong with that? What can you find negative about marshmallows crusted with sugar?
1: Did you eat puppy chow growing up? Do you know what that is?
0: I know puppy chow is an actual dog food. Is this really like a human a human ingested candy of some sort?
1: Yeah, it's where you mix a bunch of like sugary ingredients, and it's a a kid favorite. But I was just not a fan.
0: So now I remember eating dirt. You remember dirt? It was made with like uh with with like the the uh, the. The gummy worms and ground-up Oreos. Like a dirt Sunday, yeah. Yeah, so dirt. So that sounds to me like what your puppy chow thing is. But Similar. that's not what Cadbury cream eggs are. What's wrong with the Cadbury cream egg, tie? Because it is the best
1: Easter candy. Change my mind. It's not. That would be the Reese's egg with peanut butter and chocolate. The Cadbury egg is just not good, Phil. And I don't really know how to change your mind because you're probably set in stone on this topic. But it just doesn't taste good. I'm sure our listeners I'm agree not set
0: that. in stone. I'm set in a fondant center. That's what I'm set in.
1: it's it it's weird. like I I eat weird texture stuff, like some people don't like oysters. I like oysters. I'm not really picky when it comes to most things. Now, people get ticked off of me all the time because I, don't like mac and cheese, and I don't like really like sweet tea, and they're like, "Oh, you're not even Southern." Oh, it's okay. Look, I mean, I get the whole idea of
0: not liking oysters. I love oysters, but for some people, it's like you know, eating snot, eating raw snot out of somebody's nose. That's what oysters feel like sometimes. Maybe the Cadbury center, maybe the fondant center, the gooey stuff, maybe feels like the same thing for you. Is it
1: the gooey stuff in no, the middle that I, you don't get with? I like gooey stuff, like whether it's chicken cordon blue or. I'm trying to think of just like gooey foods. I'll eat that. I don't really have a problem with that. I just don't like the taste, Phil. And the Reese's peanut butter egg. Like, do you want me to put a poll right now? Because I'll take you, I'll take you to the woodshed out on this. And I'm sure most of our listeners. You go, you go ahead. I mean, you probably, you know, all your
0: listeners probably like, you know, attach themselves to everything that you attach yourself to. No, we'll put
1: it on the Hit That Line account.
0: Put it on the Hit That Line thing. We'll go with, and look, the the Reese's, I love Reese's, the Reese's, Peanut butter cups, but there's some. I'll say that, and I think they're changing the the ingredients or at least the recipe for the peanut butter because the peanut butter was too sugary and and wasn't peanutty enough. Uh, so I, I and I, I like the peanut butter eggs that they make, but it still melts. Faster than the Cadbury chocolate does, and there's also here's the one thing about the Cadbury cream eggs that I think I'd, I'd need to change. You know, the the foil wrapping around it. I always feel like I eat, I'd probably eat at least a little bit of the foil wrapping. It's almost impossible to get the whole thing off, and maybe it's because I just am too interested in eating the darn thing, so that I just bite into it before I get all the wrapping off of it. But I feel like I don't know. I probably have some 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 Cadbury foil. Stuck in my stomach from these last forty-two years of eating Cadbury Creme Eggs. Think
1: about when you were a kid; you didn't really care. what what you just is like when you saw candy, you just you'd rip it like very quickly and then just eat it. It's Halloween, Easter, whatever time of year it was, you were just gonna do it. So yeah, there probably is some. There's probably some wrappers down my. Who knows what's down in my stomach? The way I eat and what I eat. So Brad Caldwell, who we had on a couple weeks ago, who's the producer of Corlissville, he said that Reeses are the best ever. So I'm hoping that the majority of our listeners will side with me, but I wouldn't be surprised if that if the Cadbury Egg won or something. So we'll see what happens with that. Right. Taking taking you to the woodshed yeah, on this one, nah, my friend. We'll see what happens. All right, John Daly, Phil, don't bet with him when it comes to golf. If you saw him, he was out at Hooters. We talked about it on the program. He was out at Hooters this past week in, in Augusta. He's dealing with, I believe, a torn meniscus is why he's not participating out there in golf right now. But they had him sponsored. He's out there. Legendary Arkansan golfer. A guy bet him $100 out on this mini-putt course that he couldn't hit this putt. What does he do? He pops a cigar in his mouth, smoking it, and just buries that sucker. So here's the thing, Phil. Don't bet when it comes to John Daly and golf. Changed my mind. <laughs> really?
0: This is like an impossible thing to change your mind about because he's like, he's made for gambling on golf. Like all professional golfers are, but but I mean, even some of them you'd think, well, I could outdrive this guy. John Daly would be able to outdrive anybody when he's dead. This is this is the one, and I would never put money on any but on on anything involving golf with anyone because I'm the last person that should be doing that. Uh, so I, I I can't think of a, of a, of anything to convince you otherwise. In fact, the way you ought to handle this is you ought to become really tight with John Daly, and then he's the one that you put money on in in actual in actual gambling you know when you when you go to the you go to the golf course and, and you let him sit in the car for a while and you say i'm going to pick anybody here at this golf course right here and they can outdrive you and they don't know john daly is there and then the next thing you know john daly comes out of the car with the giant heater you know with the tight with the garish tight orange pants with the john daly in a cup and takes it up there and just here you go, kid. Smacks it four hundred yards. There you go, you win hundred bucks.
1: So basically some version of Happy Gilmore and Ten Cup combined. You've seen Ten Cup with Costner right? Yes. Okay. That's one of the movies that's from your generation. I really enjoy it. But
0: I can't change your mind about that. That's impossible. I can't f- there's no way that anybody should 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 try to change your mind on this. Un- unless unless he's so unless he's so drunk that he can't stand. Then that's the only way that you would actually be able to win the bet. With still win, and bet. even at that point, he probably could still win a bet involving golf with most you know regular schmucks next door.
1: Still wouldn't bet against him. I trust Daly.
0: All right, cue the audio up here because my broadcast partner for baseball, Bubba Carpenter, is 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 becoming a little bit of a baseball Nostradamus. Last night. When Casey Martin came up, and uh, I want to open my scorebook, was it the last at-bat for Casey? Yes, fifth inning, fifth plate appearance for Martin. It's the fifth inning. That tells you the sort of game you had. And and Bubba and I were talking about how uh, the Razorbacks were told by Dave Van Horn these last two games, at least during batting practice, they're not allowed to pull the ball. So a right-hand batter is not allowed to hit the ball to left field in batting practice. They wanted to work on going up the middle and going the other way for a right-handed hitter to right field. So so Casey Martin is a dead pole hitter, and he's known as such. So he came into the batter's box last night uh, during batting practice and is for his final round, and I'm there leaning up against the cage with Bubba, and Dave Van Horn is right next to Bubba. And Casey looks at, at Coach Van Horn and almost like asking your father if you can have the cookie that you were promised if you did your homework. He looks at him and says, can I pull the ball now? And Dave said, last pitch, you can pull the ball. So, yeah, <laughs> hits a couple of liners up the middle, another liner to right center. His last pitch, he's allowed to pull the ball, and he hit it like 430 feet over the left field fence. So, then comes up in the fifth inning of last night's game, and here's what Bubba said. I guarantee right here, Casey's looking at the scoreboard thinking, well, that's 13 to 2. It'd be really nice to hit one into the hog pen. <laughs> you know what I mean? That would be a me at bat? That <laughs> yeah, would be a me at bat. And the 0 1 pitch on Martin driven the other way. Way back to right field. Sims is at the wall. He homered into the visiting bullpen. Forget about the hog pen. Casey Martin goes oppo for number
1: 7 of the season. That's just fantastic, Phil.
0: That was great. That really was great. And earlier in the season, Bubba had predicted a home run that Martin hit over the left field fence. So, changed my mind uh Ty Richardson, my other broadcast partner, Bubba Richard Bubba Carp Bubba Richardson, Bubba Carpenter is uh, is a baseball Nostradamus. And
1: he's like Babe Ruth up in the, the the stands up in the in the press box calling his shot for Casey Martin. Look, it, some guys just have a way about it. We always talk about with Tony Romo how good he is at predicting a play, an audible, a set, whatever's coming out of the football game. For the most part, Tony Romo was on the mark; like he just knew what was happening. And that's like baseball's a little harder to predict, obviously, because like you don't know what pitch is coming. It, it's a, it's it's a little harder to predict what's going on in baseball, but. Props to Bubba for calling it out. He said that's the second time he's done it this year. Yeah, hopefully he uh, hopefully he calls a four, few more of those in the postseason, and they keep advancing.
0: Now he's Bubba is as he will say he's a glass half ha- half half uh, full sort of a guy. So he's always looking at the positive aspect of it. So there might also be just a luck a luck portion of this too, but when you've done it twice. In like the last, I want to say six, maybe five home games. Yeah, because he called one that Casey hit against uh, Ole Miss. So that would have been within the last five games. You do it twice within the last five games and the same hitter. I don't know. There's a little bit of a Nostradamus feel to it. So we'll see what happens this week against Mississippi State if he keeps the streak alive.
1: Sometimes it's better to be lucky than good. I would know a lot about that. You just you get lucky sometimes. So if he if he's lucky and calling it and it's working out and it ends up coming to fruition, go for it. Do it, call it, whatever. All right, you're going to be, this is going to be really hard for you to change my mind. You are a Waffle House fanatic. You love you some Waffle House. After the Missouri State game last or two years ago, you went there. We've talked about Waffle House a couple of times on the program.
0: Gosh, I ate at the Waffle House at Auburn after the, uh, the crazy doubleheader a couple of Fridays ago. The Waffle House just by our hotel.
1: Eric Cole and Blaine Knight, when they came on a couple of weeks ago, guess where they were? Waffle House. So SEC... States with programs that are residing in the SEC. Arkansas has the second least amount of Waffle Houses. Now, for those who don't know, it originated in Atlanta, Georgia. So obviously, there's going to be a ton of them. In Georgia, in that kind of area, but Arkansas only has forty-one Waffle Houses in the state. There's thirty-nine in Mizzou. Even Ohio, a northern state, has sixty-four. So that begs the question: What's Arkansas doing? Why isn't there more Waffle Houses? changed my mind.
0: Well, there are significantly more people in the state of Ohio than there are in Arkansas, and probably more highway exits in the, and you know highway exits and. Waffle houses go together, you know, like left foot and sock and shoe go together. And I feel, I think Arkansas – now, I, I, I'm not looking at numbers here, but it would seem to me that our our population numbers in Arkansas probably are about right for a number of waffle houses. What we need to do, Ty, and I, we need to find a premise of, of looking at the ratio – of citizens in the state to number of Waffle Houses in the state. Call it like a Waffle House to citizen ratio. We love stats and sports. I think in waffles and bacon and eggs and scattered smothered covered, we would we would like the same thing. So I think we need to do a little bit more research into this. We need to see how Arkansas compares with the Waffle House to citizen ratio compared to it's
1: Mississippi, a big, compared it's a big to ahead of us right here, Louisiana, Bill. right? Because if we we're talking. How many states in the SEC? So you got Missouri, Arkansas, Florida, Georgia, Texas, Louisiana. That's six. Is there Alabama?
0: Because basically, you got the the states that have two schools are Alabama and Mississippi. That's it. Okay. And Tennessee.
1: So is that? <laughs> this is, so that, I think you're looking
0: at 11 states. Is it 11 states in the
1: SEC? Don't ask radio people to do math on 10 there. or 11 states yeah. in
0: the SEC. I'm so hard. I've got too much research to do today on the baseball series. This is all on you. This is like your extra. This is like your extra credit halftime homework, which you can get into tomorrow. So
1: I have to find how many Waffle Houses there are per per citizen. Is that's what's being required of me? It's a ratio. Okay. It's a
0: ratio of of Waffle House restaurants per citizen in the state, and then see where Arkansas stacks up. Because I I would just think, as someone that has eaten in. Every Waffle House between Bentonville and Little Rock, multiple times, I would think that Arkansas stacks up well in the W to C ratio, the Waffle House to citizen ratio, than a lot of the other states in the SEC. And it's just, that's just my hypothesis.
1: People are just going to be clamoring for this information to come out of the program tomorrow. They're going to be like waiting, waiting by the radio, just like what is the ratio? Where's Arkansas? There are certain things, things we, we take pride in.
0: Certain things we take pride in. This will be, this will be at the top of the list. Yep. All right, my my third is I I don't know if you saw the WNBA Most Valuable Player Brianna Stewart was playing in the EuroLeague championship game last night for Dynamo and tore her Achilles tendon. Stewart was a great player four years at UConn. She's also the best player in the WNBA. But because the, the players in the WNBA you know, don't really make a lot of money. Uh, not, I mean, I'm not even just saying comparably to the NBA players where – I mean, whatever the MVP would make, you think he's making $56,000 a game, perhaps, maybe better than that? Brianna Stewart made $56,000 all last season playing in the WNBA for the Seattle Storm. She won the MVP. Now, I understand that you're talking about a different, a, a much different level of money that is available for the NBA players and for the WNBA players. But there just has to be. Look, NBA players are not going overseas to supplement their income to actually be able to make a living doing what they do best because they make enough money in the NBA that that's what they can focus on. Unless you're LeBron James and you're worried about making videos and movies. But I feel like like women's basketball players who want to make a mark in the United States. And they want to play in the WNBA because that is the highest level. But they have to go play in Europe and Russia and, and Turkey and go overseas in the offseason to actually make a real living playing basketball. There's got to be a way to pay women's basketball players, professional women's basketball players, more so that they don't have to go play an extra set of 50 games and end up in a position where the best player in the WNBA Tears her Achilles tendon playing in the EuroLeague Championship uh, last night. So change my mind.
1: So does the NBA supplement the WNBA? And I don't know a lot about this, so I'm I'm going to ask you this. Warden. Now, my
0: my understanding is that it's it's a part of the NBA that the, that there are owners. I think of both sides. You know, there's an owners owners that own NBA teams and also own WNBA teams. Now, again, it so much of it has to do with the available money. You know, I mean, the sponsorship, the TV dollars, the ticket sales, the revenue, the merchandise sales for the NBA are off the charts. And so that's where you can end up with, you know, a bench player that's making $15 million while in the WNBA, and I I don't understand all of the finances around it, but how does the MVP of the WNBA make just $56,000? Well,
1: I would assume, and again, I don't know much about this because I've never really dove into the... the physical aspects or excuse me the fi- the fiscal aspects of the WNBA but if they're not making if they're not getting the TV ratings if they're not getting the sponsorships if they're not getting all the stuff that goes into similar to the the NBA then they're not going to make as much money it's a business model that I don't know a lot about so I'm not going to be able to change your mind because I would sound stupid if I tried to argue this point that but I, I the only the only thing I can assume is most of the time in the business world, in any aspect of work in the work world, you get paid what the the running rate is for your profession. Like I'm getting paid what I should make. You're getting paid what you should make. And sometimes there's there's variances there. You should be getting paid more. You should be paid getting paid less. But I don't I don't know what their play. What's the the, the CBA, what they sign. I don't know how different that is from the NBA. So I, I can't really argue it, but I, I, I don't know. So I'm not I'm not going to go into it anymore because I just I don't have enough information. You know, probably
0: maybe there'd be a better there'd be a better uh, better involved deep dive inside these the finances between the NBA and WNBA yeah. and how you could actually pay the best player in women's basketball more than fifty six thousand. than finding you know the ratio of citizens to Waffle House in the state of Arkansas. But that's still your assignment for tomorrow.
1: Probably a little better stuff. All right, last one for you. You're not going to be able to change my mind on this. Zion Williamson. Declared for the NBA draft. He's going to be the number one pick. Phil, he shot 68%, averaged 23 points, 34% from three, averaged about nine rebounds, two steals. He's been a player that no one else has ever come seen come through the college ranks. Now, we have... LeBron James, who kind of had the mold of Magic Johnson, but was quicker, faster, a better shooter. That was the comparison. There's the Kobe to Michael Jordan comparison. We've never seen a player like Zion Williamson. If he entered the NBA today, he would be the second most weighed player behind Bodanovich for Philly. The second, he'd weigh the most out of every single player except for Bodanovich, which is incredible. So, or Boban, not Bobonovich, Bodon, Boban. So, We've never seen anything like him. He's going to be a number one pick. No other NBA general manager, executive is going to stake their reputation on another guy. Change my mind.
0: I can't change your mind, but when is the lottery? Because then then we'll know who Zion's going to be playing for. Do you know the lottery's got to be sometime in the next couple of weeks? Like the Halftime Pod? Check out the Bud Light Morning Rush Podcast at hitthatline.com.